Good morning and welcome to the Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. My name is Tammy Stewart and I am the teacher for this week. My topic today is humility and it is a quality or a state of being and is an attitude of being humble which is someone who is submissive, unassuming. Some Christians in the world today, hopefully not many, you will observe them and it appears like the humility that they have is kind of wrapped around them like a mantle and they are uh, wanting to be portrayed as someone who is very pious and holy. Uh, some of you are smiling at me. You're probably thinking of someone. I am. Hopefully not too many of them. But then also think about the people who are very brash and bombastic. And, of course, I don't ever see a trace of uh, humility in them anywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I think that for them, in their mind, I think that they say to themselves, you know, really, that is a sign of weakness to me. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to portray that humility. But we know that in Scripture, it says that we are to do all things in moderation. And that applies to humility as well. So as we enter into this new year of 2022... Um, which is the spirit of Satan in us or holiness and adoption. Um, I think that what we need to do is uh, really exercise uh, the notion in our mind that we need to sharpen our armor, our armor of light, and especially this tool of humility. We need to sharpen that. Um, as saints, we are the embodiment of the Holy Spirit, the saintly wind, and we are on earth to be God's agents. So what does the Bible say about humility? In my teaching, in the first part, I'm going to strive to give you a really clear example of what humility is, give you a really clear long definition. And then in the second part, um, I have several examples from Scripture of people that are moving in humility in the Bible. Um, and then we're going to conclude with Jesus, our elder brother. Now, this is not all-encompassing. I pulled different Scriptures that I wanted to use today. Um, and as you can see, it's already very long, so I, I kind of had to stop. You know, I thought, enough is enough here. Um, if you're looking at your handout, uh, this phrase, uh, which is the title of my teaching, Before Honor is Humility, is taken from Proverbs 15.33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So let's, let's look at this word humility, and the Hebrew word for this is anavah. And it means gentleness, meekness, and frequently is connected with this word, humility, is this idea of a self-inflected inner pain expressing contrition. All right. So that's uh, being likened to a crushed powder, uh, which is a state of humility where you become as dust. We have talked about that numerous times in the church. Um, the last part of this definition, it is also accompanied by fasting. This word also means submitting oneself to reproach meaning to endure shame or disgrace. So if you look at my first heading there, I have entitled it Humility Enjoined. Um, enjoined means that this is a command from God our Father. Um, 
and you will see that when I get into the book of Luke. So let's first begin with uh, the words of Solomon in Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto you, Come up hither, than that you shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Well, <clears throat> this description is really the way to advancement in the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to keep going here. Jesus uh, shares a parable about this proverb I just read in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. And this is when he was eating bread in one of the chief Pharisees' homes. So here is the command. And he, meaning Jesus, put forth a parable to those which were bidden. When he marked how they chose out of the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place. And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee comest, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself, shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we've seen this word twice now. Exalted simply means to be lifted up or to be elevated. Um, so really what, what the key to this whole parable is, the way to rise high is to begin low. You know, you will have honor and respect from those who you sit with. And they will see that you are an honorable person because honor appears brighter when it's shining out of obscurity. They will also know that you are a humble person, which really is the greatest honor of all. All right, let's go to Micah. And this is chapter 6, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So we see from this scripture that God requires three things from us. To do justly, uh, meaning to do right to all people in their bodies, goods, their good name. Secondly, uh, to truly love, agape. Mercy. What is mercy? It's an empowerment of energy and possibility that leads to the fulfillment of God's purpose. Third, to walk humbly. We must conform ourselves to the will of God keep up our communion with our Father every day and to study to show ourselves approved unto Him. We need to remember that every thought within us must be brought down and submitted to the obedience of our Father. Matthew 23, verse 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble, uh, and this is a different Hebrew word, it means to bring low, himself shall be exalted. 
So think of it this way. Honor is kind of like a shadow, and it kind of flees when you try to pursue it and grasp for it. I like that example. Um, also, it seems that honor uh, follows those that kind of flee from it. I've seen that as well. You know, in heaven, those that have humbled themselves in contrition shall be exalted to inherit the throne of glory. That's powerful. All right, now this next scripture, uh, this is Paul speaking, and the wording is a little tricky on this, so we'll re take it kind of slow here. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. What Paul is kind of saying here is we are going to transform ourselves that ye might learn in us not to think of men uh, superior, above a superior, that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. This is a very good definition of humility, that, that phrase that I have underlined there. You know, Paul is saying that the apostles were not to be esteemed other than to be servants of Christ. So we shall not be puffed up if we remember that all of us are instruments employed by God in the building of his kingdom. Each one of us is endowed with various talents and uh, qualifications. All right, this next heading is called Rewards of Humility. Uh, in this passage, this is kind of an introduction to this uh, scripture in Job, um, Eliphaz, which was one of Job's uh, friends, is trying to encourage him about his loss of property, his children, and he reminds him that no affliction comes by chance. People can't lay the blame on the soil or the climate or the stars, but it's themselves. And so he tells Job to seek God and commit his cause to him. So if you look at this first part here, Job 5, uh, verses 11 through 16, um, it starts out, to set up on high those that be low. Now, I didn't bold this, but low is humility. So high, obviously, again, we've talked about that already, is an elevated place. So let's keep going. To set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night. But he saveth the poor from the sword, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor hath hope, and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. Okay, we know that God does great things without number. God is never <laughs> exhausted, and, and his purposes will forever be fulfilled for, through eternity. Um, God can defeat all the designs of uh, the enemy against his children. And, you know, he exalts the humble, the ones who are lowly in heart, and those that are in mourning. And he also advances and comforts and makes to dwell on high, which, they've already referenced that before, is a very elevated place in God. Um, and, you know, we don't know what that really means, that elevated place in God, but it could be elation. It could be a measure of dignity uh, attributed to you in your spirit. It's, it's hard to, uh, you know, really define that. But it is a reward for someone who is being humble and contrite. All right. This next part is uh, David's three, I said tributes here, but it could be defined as gifts for humility. 
and I'm going to break this up. Uh, this is David's psalm, and he comforts himself with these three benefits of being humble. So uh, uh, Psalm 138, uh, let's just look at verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Now let's go back and look at this a minute. Here's our friend Ra'ah, uh, which is the definition of respect. Uh, it, you know, we know it means to see, but in this uh, particular psalm here, we're talking about the Lord, and the Lord discerns, or the Lord marks them. That's interesting, isn't it? So the favor of God smiles on the lowly. Um, at some point, he's going to put honor upon them. However, those that are proud, he does know, but he disowns them. So this first part, this first verse is favor. Now let's look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. You know, David is a, is a great and a good man, and he encourages himself with the hope that God would protect him. Um, he asked God uh, to stretch forth his hand and notice not to destroy the enemies but to set restraints or boundaries against their wrath or anger. All right, so this would be protection. And let's look at 8. The Lord will perfect. Again, that word means completion. That which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. So as with David, our hopes are that we shall persevere. It's not founded on our own strength because that's going to fail us. But it's founded on the mercy of God, which will never fail. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me, which is most needful for my spiritually. So think about this. For David's humility in this particular passage, he has been awarded favor. That was in verse 6, protection, verse 7, and fulfillment of purpose, verse 8. Comments. All right, I'm going to keep going. This next section is Solomon's description of humility. Uh, Solomon, um, as you know, taught wisdom through the Proverbs, you know, which was a very ancient way of teaching. And it consisted of very short sentences. You know, it was plain and easy uh, to instruct people. And a lot of those Proverbs... Uh, in ancient times were written on pillars. So if we pause and think about it now, today, in the world, the world truly is governed by a lot of proverbs. We meditate on that. So in this particular proverb, it is God by Solomon that speaks to us about this. So let's look at it. Proverbs 22, verses 3 and 4. A prudent man foreseeth the raw and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. When we walk humbly with God, with the fear of the Lord, you know, we are literally disengaging the power of raw or evil. That's what's happening. 
we proactively join the Lord to battle against the evil and to bring restoration. Why are we bringing restoration? Because what has the enemy done? What has Satan done? He's defiled the world. So in return for doing that, we receive riches, honor, and long life in this world and the privileges of grace and eternal life in heaven. So we have another set of three. Riches, honor, and long life. Now think back. As well as favor, protection, fulfillment, according to what happened to King David. And then what about Job? Job, dwelling in the high places the elevated places with God. You know, this is wonderful and so mighty. Um, you know, I what came to mind was the scripture uh, in its several places in the Psalms, but it speaks about God being our high tower. Uh, David references that a lot. And so as I was putting this together, that just kept ringing in my ears about God is a high tower. So this section that I've just kind of completed is kind of like my <laughs> my definition of humility. Now, it's not, I'm sure it's not all-encompassing. I'm sure I've missed a few things here, uh, but I, I thought it was very powerful. Uh, if I was to count what I've done in my teaching here, there were about 10 benefits or 10 gifts of humility that God could bestow on us, and I guess I'd never thought about it. So that's, that's wonderful. All right, now I'm going to transition, and I'm going to do the second portion of my teaching. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at these examples of people in the Bible who showed great humility. And um, I'm going to start with Abraham, the man of great faith and power. Um, and we'll, we'll just go through these. I'm doing well on time. We'll just go through these quickly. Uh, I realize that some of them are a little long, but you, you, I want to make sure that you have the context so you can understand what we're trying to convey here. Um, in this particular uh, passage in Genesis, um, God had revealed to Abraham um, his purposes concerning the city of Sodom. So the next thing that happens is Abraham takes the opportunity to speak to God on Sodom's behalf. So this is what's occurring in this particular passage in Genesis 18, verses 23 through 27. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. And you can see that I underline that. That sentence is great humility. And when I pondered this, I noted five things. Okay, number one. There is a deep sense of Abraham's own unworthiness. Look at verse 27. I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He speaks as one who is amazed at his own boldness. Do you realize that we have access to the throne of grace? Yes, we do. But think about this. 
the freedom of speech the freedom of speech that is allowed to us as we approach the throne of grace is simply amazing wow all right let's do point two Abraham had an awful dread of God's displeasure concerning the destruction of Sodom. Look at verse 23. Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? All right, point four. The great kindness that Abraham expressed concerning Sodom's character. As bad as it was, he thought that there were several good people in Sodom. Okay, point four. Abraham's great boldness and his believing confidence, and remember, you know, I only give you a portion of this, but he went on to say, suppose that there be 40, 30, 20, 10 righteous people within the city. And will you not spare them? All right, and then my last point. Then comes the success of Abraham's prayer. You know, um, it's a great blessing when you have good people in any place standing up for you. It really is. And here he was standing up for Sodom. You know what? God did not leave off granting till Abraham left off asking. He stopped when he got to 10. You know, that is the power of prayer. Sometimes we stop too often in our asking. All right. This next one is Joseph. Um, let me give you another introduction here. Um, the delay of uh, Joseph's greatness uh, was not revealed until the end of two full years. And I didn't remember that. I thought that was rather significant. So we know that there is a time set for the deliverance of God's people. Right? So when that time comes, though it seems to tarry, when it comes, it will appear to all that it was really the best time. So let's look at this one. Joseph remembered. Genesis 41, verses 9 through 16. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, Do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream one night, and I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew servant, to the captain of the guard and we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he did interpret and it came to pass that he as he interpreted to us so it was me he restored into mine office and him he hanged then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. And there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not me, it is not in me. God give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Okay, in verse 14, Pharaoh immediately, without inquiring who Joseph was, tells him his business. And what happens next? He expects him to interpret the dream. 
So Joseph makes him a very modest uh, reply. He says, he gives honor to God, and he says, it's not in me. God must give it. That was verse 16. He shows respect to Pharaoh and goodwill to him and his government in supposing that the interpretation would be an answer of peace. He did this with much humility and much wisdom. Any thoughts? Our next is Moses. God um, gives Moses a commission to act as his ambassador to both Pharaoh and to Israel. God answers uh, the objection that Moses made about his unworthiness, and he gives him full instructions what he's going to say to Pharaoh and what he's going to say to Israel. God tells him beforehand what the issue would be. All right, this is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey under the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel. I am hath sent me unto you. You know, the promise God makes of Israel's speedy deliverance, uh, verse 8. I have come down to deliver them. You know, when God does something very extraordinary, he is said to come down to do it. And, you know, it started me thinking about the deliverance that we received from Christ was he came down from heaven to deliver us and to give us eternal life. And he is Jesus Christ, the son of the only living God. And he actually brought him down and set him on the earth. Wow. Uh, getting back to our story here about Moses. You know, Moses was objecting because he felt he was insufficient. He didn't have that ability. 
for the service that you know, he was being called to. Because he says in verse 11, who am I? You know, he thinks he's unworthy of the honor. He thinks he needs courage. He thinks he needs to acquire more skill. You know, the difficulties of this work were very great. Yet, Moses is the man that does it at the end. Because it says, for God gives grace to the lowly. And lowly means the humble. Wow. You're so quiet today. And you trying to be humble? <laughs> All right. Um, my next account um, is the gracious visit that God gave to Solomon in the night. Um, it was in Gibeon, a great high place. It's where the tabernacle and the brazen altar were. Um, Solomon had offered a, a large and generous uh, sacrifice that day. And then he had that divine dream, and God made that gracious offer uh, to him. So let's, let's read that. And I entitled it... Uh, Solomon asked for wisdom. So this is 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day and now O Lord my God thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father and I am but a little child I know not how to go out or come in and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast, hast asked this thing, and has not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so there that there was none like thee before thee, Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Wow. <laughs> what a powerful promise that was. Whoa. Um, you know, Solomon had a really humble sense of his own deficiency because he pleads, looking back at verse 7, Lord, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in as I should. I am not able to do so much as the common daily business of the government. Solomon, who was a wise man, he trembles at the undertaking and his own fitness to accomplish the task. He showed great humility to God, and the Lord heard his prayer. Solomon had great wisdom given him because he did ask it, and wealth because he did not ask for it. 
I thought that was rather interesting. All right, let's keep going. Um, I need to review again before I read this passage. Um, this is about Daniel, and it's his friends that have been taken captive to Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he had troubled Israel. And you know what? Now God troubles him with his perplexing dream, which he also forgot about. Serves him right. Um, in earlier verses, um, Daniel uh, went to his house, and he wanted to be alone with God and to humbly petition him about this. And he also... Um, you know, this was earlier scripture. He also asked his friends to pray as well and to be very specific and pray, you know, for the mercies of God concerning this dream and the interpretation. Um, as you know, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. All right, Daniel chapter 2, verses 26 through 30. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days? Thy dream and the visions of thy, dream, of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. You know, Daniel uh, confirmed to the king that in his opinion the dream was of great value this was verses 28 and 29 that just before the king fell asleep he was musing what would be the issue of his growing greatness uh, what his kingdom would hereafter come to be um, so the dream was an answer to those kinds of thoughts Daniel, with all seriousness, tells the king that he could not pretend to have earned favor from God to discover the dream and the interpretation. The secret was made known to him for the sake of his people, Israel, and his fellow companions that were in tribulation at that God revealed this thing to Daniel that he might make it known to the king. You know, prophets receive that they may give. That the discoveries made to them may be communicated to the persons that are concerned and they're given with much humility. That's the point I wanted to make there. You're all being so humble. Thank you. And serious. Uh, this is the uh, story of the publican and it is a parable. And we have two people that are addressing uh, the service of prayer and 
the thing I want you to remember is it was not the hour of public prayer, but it was a time of po personal devotions for both of them. Um, and, you know, these are the words of Jesus, as we say. They're written in red. So here we go. This is Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, let's review that, that's, you know, a political and religious party. Uh, they were concerned about the old laws of the land, so that was the first person. And the other, a publican, we know a publican is a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes to all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or innocent rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted or elevated. And we've referenced that numerous times now. All right, so first... Um, we, we notice that the, the Pharisee went to the temple uh, to pray because it was a public place. And, you know, many eyes would be upon him. So the Pharisee came, really, to make an appearance. And the publican, he made a request. The Pharisee trusted himself to be religious. He was not an extortioner. He was not unjust in any of his dealings. He did no man any wrong. He was not an adulterer. Yet, that was not all. He fasted twice a week, it, twice in the week. So he glorified God with his body. But you know what? That wasn't all. He gave tithes of all that he possessed and so glorified God with his worldly estate. Yet, he was not accepted. The Pharisee, in giving God thanks for all this, seems to be just a, a simple formality to him. He really trusted that all of this that he had accomplished was righteousness. You know, it was good that the Pharisee was not an extortioner or unjust, but what had Satan done? He had made him proud of that fact, and this was to his ruin, actually. You know, when we look at the character of the publican, he expressed his repentance and humility in what he did. First, he stood afar off. The dejection of his looks was an indication of the dejection of the mind at the thought of the sin that he had done. He also pounded on his chest before God, saying, I'm guilty. You know, he also expressed it in what he said. His prayer was short. Um, he, he did pray what was according to purpose, though. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So we see the power of God's grace in bringing good out of evil. You know, the publican had been a great sinner, and out of the greatness of his sin was brought the greatness 
of his repentance to God. And then my last point on this is uh, this prayer is on record. It's in the Bible as an answered prayer for the publican. And I'm going to uh, close with this final section. Uh, this is about the humility of Jesus. I thought this would be a, uh, a good way to end this particular topic on humility. Um, I have two scriptures. Uh, this first one in Matthew, um, Jesus uh, is giving thanksgiving to his Father for the wise and, and gracious method he has taken in revealing great mysteries of the gospel to the simple ones. Well, simple one here means it could be a small child or it could be an immature Christian. Um, Jesus also gives a gracious call and invitation to the weary and the overburdened ones to come to him. So let's look at this one in Matthew uh, 11, uh, verses 25 and 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal um, him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, when we insert all the definitions for these underlined words, Jesus so kindly calls to all that he wants us to partner with him to understand the ways of God. He is humble and gentle towards us and understands our thoughts and feelings concerning our hearts being broken, anxious, and always toiling. He assures us that a refreshing is coming to us to bring restoration. Rest, in verse 29, means instead of the rest given by man's wisdom, Jesus offers true rest with the gospel, the word of God. It's released into our body, our soul, and our spirit, and it brings to us renewal every day. And then my last scripture uh, concerns the importance of self-effacement, which means a person who tends to make oneself modestly inconspicuous or someone who is not readily seen or noticed. Had you ever thought about that? Wow. So this uh, verse in Philippians, um, Jesus was humble, and this is what we need to learn of him. If we are like Christ, we should be lowly-minded and walk in the same spirit with the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself to sufferings and death for us. So Philippians chapter 2 verse, verses 1 through 11, if there therefore, uh, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let us esteem each other better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, 
took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, let me say this, there are two natures of Christ, his divine nature, you know, being in the form of God and partaking of divine nature as the eternal Son of God, and then there's his human nature. He was made in the likeness of men and found in fashion as a man. And he voluntarily assumed human nature. It was his own act to do that. Now, there are also two estates here, humiliation and exaltation. His humiliation was a, was a form of a servant. He was not only God's servant, but he came to minister to men and was among them as one who serves. And then the other estate is exaltation, which was in verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, because he humbled himself. God exalted him. He exalted his whole person, the human nature as well as the divine. His exaltation here is made to consist in honor and power. He had a name above every name. And that concludes my teaching. I just want to close with this thought. Um, you know, humility is the opposite of arrogance and pride. It is an attitude that grows out of the recognition that we are everything and we own everything we will have in the future will be bestowed to us as gifts from God. Amen? Any comments? Thank you. That was a, I thought that was a good summary. I like that. That was a very good summary of the teaching. Very good. I like that a lot. Excellent.
All right. Well, thank you for your attention and uh, blessings to all of you.